Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Roger, it's Brian. Look, I know this sounds a little far-fetched, but I want you to meet me every night between October the 21st to December the 18th at 7.30 p.m. at a place called the Menier Chocolate Factory in London Bridge. Some days at 3 p.m., and 7.30 p.m., people are going to watch us. A bit like a zoo or whatever. And I'll give you a cut. If you do want to find out more, look at the internet. Manyachocolatefactory.com. Speak soon. Bye. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello, Sarah Morgan here. Uh, just a quick note before the show starts to say, um, thanks for all your patience. I know it's been a while since it's been a new episode, but I'm sure you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, what's becoming a regular feature, the uh, Halloween Spooktacular episode uh, with my amazing guest, Nick Mohammed. If you enjoy the show, uh, get in touch. We're on the social medias at The Fear Podcast. Um, and this has obviously been a great big owl production. The theme music you can hear is by Tim Bazell. So um, I'm aiming to be back with some new episodes on a bit more frequent basis uh, as soon as possible. But in the meantime, there is a vast back catalogue of three series of this show featuring such excellent guests as uh, Richard Osman, Andy Nyman, Alice Lowe, Sophie Duker, Vicky Pepperdine, Riley Silverman, Jordan Morris, Helen Zaltzman and Stuart Goldsmith, just to name a handful. And you can find all of those on uh, your favourite podcast platform. Um, thanks for tuning in and enjoy this great spooky chat with the uh, very evil Nick Mohammed. Cheers. Hello and welcome to The Fear, a podcast about the overlap between comedy and horror. My name is Sarah Morgan. Oh, hello. Uh, it's been a very long time uh, since we recorded one of these. Um, I, it, lockdown happened and I thought I'd let all the other podcasters um, have a go at doing a podcast. I made I made space for them and their voices and, uh, and they all did very well. Everyone did very well with all their podcasts. Um, but now things are sort of vaguely going back to normal. I thought I'd do some more of these. And obviously... Uh, we could not let Halloween go by without doing um, a very special Halloween spooktacular episode um, with uh, an extra special, horrifyingly awful and evil guest. Um, <laughs> and I've got a great one for this episode. Oh, one of history's greatest monsters, I think. Um, <laughs> my guest this episode is uh, he's a magician. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's a creator of intelligence on Sky One and Peacock. Uh, he's the star of a little show called Ted Lasso. Um, he's the crusher of dreams, destroyer of childhoods, uh, Mr. Nick Mohammed. Hello. Oh, hey, Sarah. Thank you for that lovely intro. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> yeah, lovely, yeah. The, cru- the crusher of dreams. Crusher Please of know. dreams. Well, I should... I should. How are you, by the way, Nick, before we get going? I'm 
very well. I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm in America, so I'm, I, I was mm. jet lagged, but now I feel I feel like I've kind of broken through it. So I'm I'm good. I'm feeling good. Can you say where you are in America? I can. I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, filming a film with your favourite and my favourite, <laughs> the lovely John Hamm and Tina Fey. Never, uh, never heard of either of them. Uh, um, oh, Tina Fey! Fuck me, you buried that one. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. She's, she's not over yet, but she's coming over in a couple of weeks. So yeah, it's lots of fun. It's a John, John Slattery is directing. And it's just a lot of, I feel very out my depth and um, <laughs> very lucky to be here. <laughs> Well, we'll get into that definitely. Uh, but, but I think uh, we should. I should w- the the elephant, the spooky, horrifying elephant in the room. I really want to talk about because I've wanted to have you on the show for ages. But obviously, and I, I will say this to listeners now: um, if you don't want any spoilers for Ted Lasso season two, which has just ended on Apple, then skip ahead to the next musical sting, and we'll talk about it in in this bit now and then and then just just scrub ahead um uh, but then watch it and then come back and listen to this bit because uh nick your character the beloved nate the great (laughs) went on quite a journey this series oh yeah yeah. and i saw you um because we worked together i i I did a little 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 bit of work on intelligence and um you're my boss thank you uh and um yeah but the series had just started and you were you seemed genuinely nervous like terrified uh, and you yeah. were warning me about stuff that's going on and i and yeah how did that so how you knew what was coming so yeah. please tell me what what why were you why were you so what, what were your feeling before it all well, came i was out? nervous like i say nervous i was there was a sort of slight excitement in mm-hmm. there sort of um anticipating a reaction i guess that thing of knowing that in, in a very lovely way people had kind of grown fond of season one of mm-hmm. me and you know because he goes on a quite typical you know underdog does good sort of journey right mm-hmm. and everyone can associate with that and it felt very good and it was kind of thematically it really you know it is it, it really embodied the show's sort of overall message and mm. and so you know yeah th- this season we've seen we've seen nate his heel turn and he you know he's nate he's not nate the great he's nate nate the hate or nate the snake i've seen is all this, these is this what the hashtags are saying like all the hashtags are nate the snake and all that <laughs> Nate the traitor. Nate, all oh this God! Stuff. And and um and I think and you know obviously I was aware that, that this was this was all coming and it's just a bigger it's just a bigger fall for the audience. You know they have further to fall mm. because I think they you know in a very nice way had taken Nate to their hearts and now mm. he's sort of done, done the dirty in in lots of ways. Uh, you know, uh, from his inappropriate move on Keeley to ultimately betraying Ted to just being a bully and, you know, harassing the new uh, kit man who sort of came to replace him and sort of got his old job and sort of, you know, his friendship with Roy, obviously kind of in tatters and all that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot. Listen, he's a complicated guy. He's troubled. Obviously, it all stems from the insecurities of the you know, the toxic relationship he has with his dad and the fact that he just doesn't have friends. He doesn't have a support network. Um, He doesn't, you know, Ted, he was basically his father figure throughout season one and ironically empowered him, but he empowered him so much that he's (laughs) turned against him. And yeah, Nate just feels abandoned and he's just lashing out in all the wrong directions. So I, you know, I should say, I don't condone any of this behavior, but it is, it is absolutely correct that the audience should be hating Nate right now. I mean, if they were liking Nate, I'd be kind of concerned. So, you know, that, that reaction is, is justified. 
Oh God, I, I mean, it's it really interesting hearing you talk about it. And you also did a, a, a tweet about it that I know has, has gone viral, like it, it's sort of breaking down all the, as you call them, microaggressions that led to this character who, mm-hmm. if you don't know the show, is a very sweet underdog character who gets a little bit of success mm-hmm. and is immediately sort of so riddled with insecurities and sort of power going to his head and a lot of very, very sort of complicated. I mean, it's so complicated. Yeah, um, I mean... It- that he, that he really becomes a, ho- a very horrible person or a very troubled person very very mm-hmm. and and it, it, i love the way you, it's obviously very important to you that you that you care because you care about the character that you broke it down well i did it uh, first of all i should clarify just for anyone who's seen that tweet as mm. well um j- just my use of the word microaggression mm. is i i do believe there are some genuine microaggressions mm. against nate but a lot of them are also uh, you know m- perceived microaggressions Perceive, in, yeah. the, in, yeah. the, in, in Nate's mind, he perceives them as, as microaggressions and that, you know, we might, we as an audience and as, mm-hmm. as real people, we, we might not call them that really, because actually he might just be taking things completely the wrong way and, you know, misinterpreting mm-hmm. a load of stuff. So uh, I, I just have to be a bit, a bit steady using that word, but it's true. There are, there are lots in there and there are lots of perceived ones in there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I had kind of, I, I had I had started making notes as as the kind of the season was kind of going on anyway, just to kind of track the character and track key moments. And I used to ask so many questions because you know I knew I knew the overall arc um, from from a long time ago, like the three season arc actually, from even when we we're uh, filming season one. But I uh, I didn't know obviously all the key details, and so I just wanted to be sure because it's such a long shoot, and we wouldn't really get scripts until like maybe a week before we were then mm. shooting that episode. But you shot it people. right in the middle of lockdown as well, didn't you? Did, so, yeah, 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 like January, yeah, yeah. Is it January, yeah. January? yeah, yeah. Last January we started, and it goes through yeah. runs until June. So I was just I just wanted to make sure like everything added up in mm. terms of. I guess, I mean, the writing all adds up because they're so clever and they've got an amazing team writer's room. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that my performance tracked, I guess. And, you know, from season one, you know, they planted all these seeds in season one. So it was all there. We kind of couldn't give it too much away then. But like, um, so I was, it, there was a sense of kind of relief that we got to the end of season two and knowing that there would be quite a strong audience reaction to it because season one itself had done well. Mm. Knowing there'd be a lot of attention on season two and knowing that this next storyline is quite a big one for season two um, that um, I just wanted to keep tabs on it. And so I just started making notes and then I sort of thought uh, it'd be quite, you know, I'd had like a lot of, I, you know, I kind of dip in and out of Twitter, but I'd had a lot of messages on Twitter and, you know, mm. fr- ranging from the, the most absurd, like, someone sending me a picture of sort of uh, like different pictures of cats that kind of track the descent of Nate to, uh, to people <laughs> saying, Nate's descent, Nate's look, descent in cat, cat, in cat memes. Amazing. Cats, cats, look like, cats that look like Nate, but sort of track <laughs> his descent. To, to, to people, you know, in all seriousness, yeah. saying, you know, it was triggering for them, oh. you know, the, the bully becoming the bully. And, you know, and, and then, the you bullying. Know, yeah. The on Keely. And, you know, there's lots of darkness in there and his relationship with his dad and the way he lashes out and is rude. And so, you know, that, and, and I thought, well, I should probably respond to this. But I just thought, well, I'm just going to respond to it in just one mm. tweet so, <laughs> rather than yeah. some, you know, individually contact uh, people. So, you know, and, and yeah, I'm glad that people have read it. And I think uh, overall, I think a lot of people have been, ah, well, it does, it does all add up. And, mm. and, you know, it is, it's nothing to do with me. It's, it's literally hats off to the writers because it was all there. All yeah. the crumbs are kind of there to follow and you can watch it all back. And um, 
and you know the, the hair going gray was a nice kind of little added added touch but you know it was all deliberate but you know so many little quirks and subtleties in the writing every even even the stuff there's so much and i say this in the, in the tweet but there's so much of Nate, nate's season two journey you either don't see or it's unseen um unheard or it's di- like dialogue free basically mm. but it's all scripted every single bit is in the script and it's marked out even if it's nate's in the background just sort of listening to something you know it's all every kind of moment was was mm. there mapped out and so i can only take sort of a small amount of credit because it's literally all there in the script it was just of like course, a blue yeah. yeah but you uh, so what was your response presumably they walked you through what your arc was going to be for that series and so what was your response when they first told you i was, I was really excited i mean i thought i was kind of excited because i thought well this is going to be challenging because as you know, my comfort zone is very stupid <laughs> comedy. Oh, you are like the like the nicest person in the world, and I feel like I can I can I can say that like you you know I mean you're you're genuinely a really lovely and thoughtful person to work with, and when you get um when we when we discover what a terrible monster you are, then um you know this this conversation will be all the more ironic. It'll be like it made it quite exciting knowing that like you know, that, you know, I could sort of do my thing on season one, yeah. which was kind of the kind of awkward sort of stumbling guy who kind of, who's shy and, you know, we kind of like, but, and that was absolutely in my comfort zone in terms of comedy and, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, I get this. I understand it. And um, so then I guess as, as exciting as it was to mm. sort of do the, the heel turn, the tricky thing was a, the, the, my, my biggest concern was that, uh, I, I can't I don't want to peak too early you know I don't want people to hate Nate immediately right. because otherwise nowhere to go and then uh, but but you know there had to be a flavor of there's something not quite right this isn't sort of you know we've had yeah. a bit of a between season one and season two um you know what what you know there's something up with Nate and to just sort of drip feed it and and that was that was a bit more difficult this time around and then also just not there are fewer jokes for Nate. There are fewer jokes that Nate does. You know, there are fewer like laugh out loud moments from Nate. But is it, th- is it thrilling to? Absolutely. Is it is it thrilling to play a baddie on a show where? Because it's a show that had a lot of baddies in season one. Uh, Rebecca was a baddie. Roy was a baddie. I like that Jamie was a baddie. Rupert. And uh, Rupert was a baddie. And suddenly, I mean, apart from Rupert, he's very you know he's a he's a little flavour of the show rather than a main main character in it. Like. All the goodies, all the all the baddies went turned to goodies. So I, for for uh, someone who loves a baddie, was delighted yeah. that the show had a new baddie, and it was Nick Mavitt, um, <laughs> and he's turned into Tarth Nate. Um, but you know, is it fun to play a baddie? How, what, are you channeling any particular bad guys when you're doing? Um, I wasn't challenging anyone in particular, but I think it was fun to be a baddie, and mm-hmm. and you know, I think that if there was ever a criticism of Ted Lasso the show, it was it was. Ah, oh, it's just a bit, you know, it's a bit sweet, and you know, it's just all maybe a bit too positive, and you know, lacks conflict, and it's like you can't come away from watching season two and thinking it lacks. <laughs> well, it was, <laughs> I mean, it, like, was the, it was the cake we needed in lockdown. I mean, this with love, like, I mean, it was like it was the it was the biscuits that Ted brings in every day. You sort of try and resist. I never wanted to watch a show about football. I'm like, yeah, well, I better watch one just to, see. and then yeah. I couldn't stop eating them. It was it was yeah. the delicious biscuit <laughs> metaphor of drink. But then, yeah, as you say, when I, when season two started and we were all a bit more kind of calloused from lockdown and maybe yeah. <laughs> did something else, <laughs> it was there for us on that front. Um, Oh, mate. Um, oh, yeah. So can I just, I, you, you, when they, when you were sort of, I, I heard that you actually genuinely shouted out loud when you were, were told that you were oh, going to be, yeah. yeah. I, Screamed I mean, and was, rolled on the floor. Is- 
<laughs> I will. I literally did. I mean, to come, just because I try to make Brendan laugh, but he told uh-huh. me we were doing some stuff, I think probably in episode 10, when they were just sort of finishing off episode 12. So we were just like on the training pitch. You know, it's like nice weather by that point. We were probably like, it was like May or something. And and he was just like, yeah, we're just thinking of these ideas. And um, oh, by the way, uh, one idea is that, you know, you know, the belief sign is going to be ripped in two. And, you know, and, and, and I literally I just fell on the floor and screamed. And, uh, and then he, because, you know, I, I react, you know, I love this show so much. And yeah. I, I react to the, those moments that people are reacting to when I read the script in the way that, you know, mm. viewers are doing when they see the show. You know, I, I still have feelings for, the, you know, all these characters and in real, you know, as me, I'm like, oh, God, what are you doing? And, and then, and then Brent. Brendan then did it. Then Jason arrived, and then Brendan did. He said, oh, "I just, uh, I just told Nick, and this is what he did." And then Brendan did an impression of me screaming and rolling. Amazing. Can I ask? It was, it was, it felt like a big moment because I feel like that blue sign is, you know, in, oh, in yeah. a nice way, has been, you know, captured on, you know, social media as this sort of emblem of hope and positive. And I was like, "No, you're going to destroy everyone." <laughs> you personally, I kind of crush everyone's lockdown feels uh can i I have one more question because then we have to move on because i want to talk about all kinds of other things with you but um i my one question is when you spat in the mirror Mm. were you spit your face were were you spitting it old nate or new nate what was it was it the nate you used to be or the nate you were turning into because i I think there's so i think there's so much deep-seated self loathing i think he was spitting at uh, you see the thing is if he's spitting at new nate mm. season two nate then then that means we're he's keely grabbing nate yeah he's yeah. yeah then we're getting a redemption arc in season three right but if he's spitting at old and new nate, like you know because if he's spitting at just who he is just like mm. the cross whole thing he just hates himself maybe he'll never be redeemed Maybe maybe he'll be the one character they do not redeem in Ted Lasso because it could happen because everyone's expecting it. Everyone is expecting it. I know little bits, but I don't know the answer Interesting. yet. Interesting. But I think I think he was. I think I think there was a moment of, of utter self loathing, and I think it was particularly in episode eleven after the 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 thing with Keeley. I think yeah, he he hates what he's done. I mean, he realizes that he is massively overstepped the, the mark there because i don't i don't think that and nate is not like a sexual predator i mean that's not you know i don't think we're kind of like laying the ground for that and and obviously what he what he did to keely is deeply deeply inappropriate and, and an assault but um i think he realizes that i think in that moment i think he realizes mm. he hates himself for it he hates himself for it uh, uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm very excited for series three, and I really hope you do get to enjoy, <laughs> enjoy being a baddie because it looks like it must be fun. <laughs> like, yeah. I wonder what they're going to do with my hair. I think okay, I mean, the Jose Marino thing I completely missed because I'm not very football. But so yeah. I had to explain to me, and I was like, "That's cool." But I also yeah. just like it also reminded me of it, you know, and the children's <laughs> hair all turns white from being rotten or cruella even yeah, like, yeah, you know. yeah it's quite it's quite <laughs> in a really fun way i liked it i when we first discussed it, i was like yeah i'm up for that and um but by the very end it's a gr- it's a gray or white wig so yeah. whether i'll be a wig because you can't go back and once you go gray you can't, unless you die <laughs> and then if you die it's still there underneath so that if it's a metaphor for the character's journey then i, don't I want you to have like two-tone hair like, i want you to be full cruella i want you sitting on a throne of skulls drinking blood yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with a full cruella fright wig for series season three <laughs> 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 
Right, we have stopped talking about Ted Lasso. Spoilers now. Uh, and we're going to talk about... So as as uh, regular listeners to the show will know on the fear, um, I ask my guests to bring in three fears for us to unpack in a completely judgment-free environment. Um, a fear from their childhood, their favourite scary moment from film or TV, and a fear or phobia they live with now. Um, so to start, which would you like to start with? Should we talk about your childhood, Nick Mohammed? Right, let's talk about childhood fear. Yeah, so I, so I was quite a scaredy cat mm-hmm. kind of growing up, which might not surprise you because you know I'm quite small and geeky and not you know not very powerful. Um, so I kind of I was scared. I was scared a lot by. I was just scared very easily, I guess. And so I have. I just have lots of distinct. Memories. I mean, my, I, I remember, and there was no kind of um, sort of. I didn't really, I felt like I didn't get enough sympathy for it. Like, sort of like that I'm scared. Like, if I was scared, I was like, oh, he's scared. Like, kind of like from like my, my family. I remember we, get, we went to Madame Tussauds and yes. we went into like the chamber, chamber of Horrors when I was like, I must have been like eight or nine or something, which I think is still quite young to be taken to a chamber of horrors. And it was terrifying. And I, I like went down the stairs and then I had to like be brought out. And I, I basically was kind of like rid- ridiculed for it. And I was like, well, that, I mean, it's really scary and inappropriate to take a child down into that, that pit. I um, also had to be taken out of the Chamber of Horrors as Madden Two Swords as a child because I, because what I imagined went on in there was that they kill people because no one had explained to me that that is not a good business model. And I thought that when you went yeah. in there, like someone actually yeah. murdered you um, and there yeah. was people with like knives back there yeah. that killed you. And I believed, and I was probably eight or nine as well. So it is terrifying. And, and it's, that, it's that feeling of also not, not being able to say no without, as you say, facing the ridicule, which is... Yeah, yeah. Not really. I mean, not ridicule in a really harsh way, but I remember I was with one of my cousins, like Greek cousins, and, um, mm. and he was a little bit older than me, but only like by like a year. And he like sailed through it and absolutely loved it. And I was, and, and so there was a lot of comparison between like how he had loved well nicholas had to be taken out the fire exit and i was like oh okay <laughs> i know that fire exit more out of this than uh, it needs to be so that was that was that was good but i also remember then on a school trip like maybe like two or three years after that we went to madden to swords on a school trip and um and i remember like i was i was clearly massively overcompensating for like kind of wanting to kind of get through it so i sort of like was like kind of kind of went down all kind of providers like yeah i've been here before i've been here before and uh, and i remember one of them my friends was then really scared i was like no no, no it's fine no, no, no. we can just go through this exit it's fine so i kind of like led him through the exit as if i was like kind of coaching him but i was i was desperate i was so glad to get out again so i've never i don't think i've ever walked through it still now just gone through it with your eyes closed <laughs> no i've never been i should go now and see if I still need to be taken through the fire. I think I'd be all right now. But um, even that that was, it's, it's not even there anymore, is it? It's like a whole different thing somewhere else in a different bit of London. Yeah, it's all, it's like under... London, London now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh that's a shame. I yeah. don't know if I want to go down the London dungeon, though, because I don't like the idea of live actors sort of... No, um, that's the real fear, isn't it? But the, bi- <laughs> but the, biggest, child- the biggest childhood fear, like consistent childhood fear, was... Now, I, this is probably showing my age but i don't know if you remember uh, around sort of like 10 to 9 or 5 to 9 just before the news and and that would always be like when i would kind of go to mm. bed when i around sort of like yeah i guess between like 8 and 12 or something um they would play these like 
it was either called Crime Stoppers or like Crime. It was like a crime watch thing. It was yeah. like a little ident um, for a real crime, often like something horrific that had like happened. And then and they would say, oh, this this uh, if you've got any, you know, if you've got any um, inside information, please call this number. And it would always kind of catch you unawares, sort of like it was sort of like shown just before a program was about to start or just after something mm. had ended. And usually something quite light, like a kind of, kind of like Vicar of Dibley, just after the Vicar of Dibley. And then it was like, <laughs> West Norwood at a quarter to six on Saturday, the 11th of March. Patrick Byrne makes his way home from his local after a quiet drink. He doesn't know that it will be his last. In Robson Road, he gets into an argument with a man. The man comes after him. He clubs him to the ground and keeps on and on. Then the man walks calmly away, still carrying that piece of wood, leaving Patrick Byrne to die. The attacker was young, short, with collar-length hair, wearing a brown jacket with blue jeans and white trainers. Crime Stoppers needs your help to find him. Call 0800-555-111. Your call is free, you don't have to give your name, and you may earn a Community Action Trust reward. If you have information about this or any crime, call Crime Stoppers now. And they would put up on screen, like, mugshots of, um, mm. you know, the ones that are made, like the, um, what's yeah. it called? Like the artistic impression, which are always terrifying. <laughs> and they're always, um, they're all, they're, you know, they, they always lack a bit of humanity and, re- you know, they, they almost mm. look like demons or if they're not quite, quite really human. And I would... I would literally have to like leave the room or like cover my eyes and like not look up at the the mugshot that they would put up of, oh the, my God. of the criminal that they're after. And that's the other thing. The criminal is at large. So you're like, it's real and it's real. So you're kind of thinking, okay, so that, so I've just heard the description of something horrible that's happened. The person who did this is still, could be literally outside the door yeah. or under your head. And here's a picture of them to like <laughs> in send pencil. you on your, your merry way in like pencil with the sort of like hands and like, drooping <laughs> eyes or something. <laughs> And it was terrifying. Like that, that to me was, was consistently scary. Jesus. Has, um, and I remember that. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I yeah, I, I can, I mean, I remember those, the, the crime stoppers thing, because it was so brief as well. And they sort of, as you say, interrupted like the Vicar of Dibley or something that was sort of yeah. quite nice. And then, <laughs> we and then interrupted was, the Vicar of Dibley. Yeah, we, we, we finished the big bit that now, you, now it's time to go to bed. And if you happen to be up later than you should be children, you're going to be confronted with um, some, the, ho- the real horrors, the grown ups face. Yeah, um, yeah, the, the, it, has that had any kind of knock on effect with like, can you look at like the street artists in Covent Garden who do pencil renderings that are quite? Oh no, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> cartoonist. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, no, actual I'm past, phobia I'm, of. I'm past that stage, but I don't know that it's it's all. I mean, it's obviously it's a it's a bit of a trope now when um like you know whenever a kid in a horror film has kind of like drawn something that they have seen and the parents stumble across it, it always looks horrifying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's always horrible and like um you know, when there's slightly sort of doctor's photos of people who are still at large or, you know, they've, they've always got some kind of, I mean, it's horrible really to think of it because often they kind of make them sort of physically different and sort of, you know, a deformity. Or something. They, they, they play into that kind of fear of, um, of, of difference, which is, which is quite bad, really. But um, that, was, that was the new Bond film. I was quite shocked. Um, the, the, the bad oh, yeah. is, has okay, got yeah, a facial... Yeah, the bad got... 
a scar yeah. on his face and that sort of yeah. that's when did when did that start being all right again i mean that's you know, the, the robert carlisle one as well he's got because mm. he's got uh, he's they're got obsessed get over well, he it can't feel, he can't feel pain can he or something yeah something like that it's something and then the, but there's yes yeah, so there's always someone's got something with their eye or a scar on their face it's like they're really yeah. sort of obsessed with i forgot what there's that there's that weird you might have to look it up because i can't remember the name of it mm. but it was well i can look it up sarah uh, <laughs> we can both look up. we both have the internet in front of us <laughs> is um there is a there is a phenomena that is mm. if you and you can go and do it if you dare do it late mm. at night if mm. you kind of go into a dark room with a mirror um and look at your look at your reflection uh so you can't you, it's almost that you can hardly see yourself but you can just just make out you, you know that mm. there's a reflection there if you look at it long enough your mind will convince yourself that you're a demon like you're <gasps> like it will make you look hot hot like you you can imagine that you can see the face of like a demon and it's something to do with like like fear of the dark you know it's, oh. it's kind of, I, I think, is this Troxler effect has just come oh, up for a yeah, Google that might well be it. Yeah, what does it say? Okay, I mean, it's a very long article, but it's psychology today, so it's not just some bullshit. Article. I'll read the whole article out now. Like, uh, um, it's, uh, it's, it's rushing through all things like Halloween-related folklore, Bloody Mary, da-da-da-da. Uh, they did a study, and the study conducted by Dr. Caputo of the University of Urbino. That all sounds fake. It sounds uh, participants were asked to stare into a mirror in dim lighting for 10 minutes. Results demonstrated that 66% of participants experienced huge deformations of their own face. I am so trying this. This is amazing. I love that it's like 66.6. Yeah, 66.66 recurring. People saw the devil. 28% saw an unknown person. Amazing. Yeah, and 40, cool. 48% saw fantastical and monstrous beings. Yeah. Oh, the Troxler effect. Yeah, it's our imaginations running wild, basically. But it's cool. It's cool. And it works. It's yeah. this game. Yeah. It was discovered in 1804 by a physician and philosopher named Ignaz. I may be pronouncing that wrong. Troxler. Uh, and it's the effect that uh, underlies many of the optical illusions you find on the internet. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's an S-Pod thing. The podcast revisiting S-Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge watch this. Anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests help me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase sex object in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think, do you think this is one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S-Pod thing from Great Big Owl. 
we should talk about magic because you are obviously uh, a magic enthusiast. Was that was that when you were young? The when did you start getting yeah. into magic? Oh yeah, when I was when I was a kid. Like the Paul Daniels magic show was sort of my <laughs> first introduction to it. And you know, I got well, my sister got a Paul Daniels magic set, and then I sort of you know sort of just took it really, and because she wasn't as into it. And I was like four or five when I first sort of started loving magic, and then and then yeah, I got into the junior section of the Northern Magic Circle when I was. I guess 12. Mm. Um, and yeah, I still love it. And I kind of, you know, I'm, I've always, always reading a magic book and always, you know, practicing, but don't do it as much. I mean, occasionally it creeps mm. into like my live shows and stuff. And I, I'm writing a thing about the magic castle um, in Hollywood um, at the moment, but it's not, but you know, I've never, they haven't kind of crossed over as much as um, I quite like it being just like a little nice separate hobby. And I love mm. it. I adore it. And I love watching it. I love performing it to friends and family mm. who you know if they can bear it because <laughs> they you know they've, they've put up with a lot of pick a card and all that but i love it and um yeah because I, I, you checked andy nyman didn't you on this i did chat to andy nyman and he was amazing he was brilliant on this like he was he's obviously such a great get to get for this show and, yeah. and and i think the the thing i find with talking to people you know i know a lot of a lot of a lot of comedy guys and, and a lot of guys in comedy are into magic and the they there seems to be a shared thing that the more you believe in uh the science of magic and how great tricks are and all that kind of stuff the more you are also very very keen on the idea of like what if the supernatural was real even though you know how every table knock is done and everything yeah, is yeah. faked and everything is yeah. you know bullshit and stagecraft I, there's a f- absolute respect and fascination for the idea that ghosts and goblins and witchcraft and things oh, might oh, be yeah. might be real yeah. and i find that really interesting like you really want to believe nothing oh, <laughs> back to believe oh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah imagine if that's what ted lasso is about believing <laughs> ghosts <laughs> <laughs> even um, the devil um yeah there is that great quote isn't there that he says like um i don't believe in ghosts but i do believe they should believe in themselves <laughs> Which is a really Fucking, nice when the show that show gets really self self-aware sometimes <laughs> <laughs> um sorry but yes so as a magician you know you must obviously uh how what are your feelings on on sort of supernatural stuff and so i've been to see a lot of a lot of psychic and psychic entertainers mm. um who you know who are one you know as in the proper psychic entertainers as in one step on from darren you know who are making a living out of pretending they are communicating with death mm. so kind of, you know entering some morally dubious territory here and i've been to see a lot of them because not because i believe in it and i'm yet to see proof of anything that can't be achieved mm. by trickery um but you cannot knock the sheer boldness and showmanship of some of these individuals. And, you know, that stems from way back, like the birth of spiritualism and, you know, uh, just the, just the, the original con artists who were, you know, making money out of doing tarot readings and, um, you know, clairvoyancy, communicating mm. with the dead and telepathy and, you know, all, all, all of this, you know, where they're kind of pray, uh, Yeah. Well, praying is probably the right word on people's, um, vulnerability particularly if they're grieving or they're in a dark place and they or they want some kind of reason in their life or they they want to be told Mm. what they're doing is right or wrong and so i find i find it i find it really i find it interesting and part of me and i've really really kind of occasionally i've been in a quandary because i've been to see i've been to those shows and you look at the audience and Mm. to be honest the audience is usually much older than is people who've lost people and and um and they're desperate to believe and and when when it hits, 
and you know it's cold reading and hot mm. reading and all manner of probably trickery as well um uh but when it hits and you see the reaction to the to the spectator or the the person who's going oh my goodness yeah that is that was my kid who was allergic to ice cream and had a teddy bear put in the coffin with them and and you see and and it, and and it is you you're watching them and there's this sense of relief and you're like but crikey this is this is fake but then is it all right if it's fake and they're st- and if they're getting some kind of comfort even if it's fake and even if they mm. knew that it was fake is that okay so i kind of listen i think my ultimate thing is i do think it's it's wrong for people to kind of make yeah. money out of this grief um kind of obviously i i, I feel that but then mm-hmm. when you see it and witness it and i've literally seen people in tears i mean unless they were stooges and you know who who knows they might those 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 oh, real big those that. big hits might have been stooges and it won't you know it wouldn't be the first time that uh, mm. You know, a psychic entertainer has used a stooge to get a really strong hit to kind of get the audience kind of going, and it and it was really effective. It was effective mm. to me and my friend, and we were like, oh, I don't know. I mean, you've got to admire the the craft of it as, as someone yeah, who, I, who performs I, I illusions. Do. You've got to. I mean, I, mm. I'm um I'm I'm writing a film at the moment. Uh, and I, you may know the story of Mary Toft as a, magi- a magician. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I'm, I'm writing yeah. her biopic. Very commercial. Oh, Very That's commercial. Um, yeah. uh, right. But but the premise. Uh, I, I won't get into it now for the listeners. But the but the, pre- the premise is basically no one wants to know how the trick is done. That's the core theme yeah. of the film. Is people yeah. like to believe in magic and they do not want to know how a simple trick is done. Is there a, a magic trick that you think? Um, the sweet spot there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's the um. The, uh, is there is there a, a magic trick that you either really respect how it's done, or it really annoys you how sort of clunkily <laughs> it's done? Like, um, I think I think it's. I, I mean, I love. Obviously, I'm a huge Darren fan. You know, where magic crosses. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's basically mentalism we're talking yes. about. Where where it crosses into kind of ah, oh, this could be real, and mm. it also could be not. And actually, people like. Darren and, and plenty of amazing mentalists who who came before him, you know, um, you know, e- exploited that and used a variety of methods. Some of which are genuine, like you know, shamanship, psychology, and hypnotism are all kind of you know things that you know you can use to your advantage, and you can also throw in trickery as well to kind of just sort of you know give your effects a little bit more, um, uh, make them a little bit more foolproof, mm-hmm. I guess. But um, I don't know. I'm a big fan, so huge fan of mentalism just because of the sheer mm-hmm. amount of showmanship that can go, you know, you can get a 10 minute routine out of like literally switching a piece of paper secretly and people not noticing and make a thousand people in a room <laughs> gap because it looks like you predicted the future or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. it is. You And I love that. I love the boldness and I love, and you know, whether people choose to believe in it, whether it's real or not, I love that. And I love that people, like you were saying, they want, they just like, they like mm-hmm. the feeling of being fooled and they don't want to know how it works yeah. because there is this sweet spot of kind of, I don't know, I'm desperately trying to work it out and I can't work it out to, well, I don't want to work it out. Yeah. And I think some of the biggest stuff that, some of the Copperfield stuff, I mean, like yeah. when you see flying. The Statue of Liberty one is fascinating. You know, he made the Statue of Liberty yeah. and it was just all he did was make the seat rotate the people yeah. see the people rotate just ever so slightly yeah. so they weren't looking at the statue of and, and it's yeah. like when i because i've obviously just done so much in looking into how tricks are done my favorite is yeah. still the soaring a woman in half trick for the sheer level of just having to have two people on yeah. the payroll every fucking night and the, and the sheer level of misogyny right i mean the yeah. amount a of woman magic- called the legs it's the best <laughs> if, you, if you look at the history of illusion you just realize that it is basically <laughs> men doing horrible things to women and then being so powerful that they sort of put them back together again because yeah. they can. You know, that, the, is, um, that is 
underlying story. The knife throwing um, trick being there's someone behind the board shoving knives through. That's a great oh, one. Is that how it, I don't really know how. <laughs> the spinning wheel like, of death thing. It's like there's oh, someone right, behind oh, putting oh, knives through. Isn't that great? Well, oh, that's quite just, a good one. Had, so they, 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 drop the throw, they drop the knife they behind them. They drop them behind their shoulder. Yeah. yeah. I see. Sweet, right? Yeah, that, <laughs> that's great i love all that all that yeah. fun stuff and like it's like it's just it's really really fun but interesting i know what i was going to mm. say when i i went to see like this psychic entertainer show the most recent one i saw oh gosh it must have been about five six years ago now but it was there was about three or four different um psychics on it one of which was Derek akura mm. he rest in peace bless him um and um and it was really interesting because it was like they, they were all four of them were like obviously using the same methods to kind of you know cold reading and so you know mm. to kind of get the the hits but um Derek was a little rusty actually and 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 he was it was funny because you know he would kind of go on it was like a gig you know a comedy gig and you know where someone has a bit of a bad night and then there's oh. like another actually like then storms it and it was really interesting seeing like you know that the spirits were apparently there for one person <laughs> but apparently suddenly not there to help out um others and um I, I did before i would met Derek and Cora twice um and um once was doing a panel show thing and um and once was literally like this i think the same year that he he died that's not a coincidence <laughs> and um and he and he was for every you know i'm sure people are find him a little tricky given what he does for a living and but i thought he was so nice and we were doing this thing i was in character as mr swallow mm. it never got aired it was the pilot for channel four um uh and he and we went to the london palladium to see if we could contact the spirit of Houdini um, because every Halloween um, uh, Houdini fans do try and contact him because, because Houdini was obsessed with life mm. after death and wanted proof. He was obsessed. Oh with yeah. It. Yeah. And, um, and uh, so we went to the Palladium to, to, to do this and I, I was in character and I, and I, and you know, he knew I was going to be in character. He knew I was mm. going to like poke fun a bit, but I'd said to him before, I was genuinely interested and he could sort of see that. And I said, listen, if you do pick up on anything, go with it because you know let's just see you know like we're in london palladium right and there's so much history here and i had just before mentioned that bruce forsyth again god bless him because i love him had um had his ashes put underneath the stage in an urn uh um, london palladium, like they're there, where <laughs> you told the core of that <laughs> amazing so again so i could so I, to- I told him yeah. all that and he was like oh, that's great okay great and then and then and then <laughs> And then we were doing in the scene, we were doing a Ouija board thing. And uh, and he was like, no, they're demonic. He was like, he was really against the Ouija board because he said it's a really barbaric way of communicating with the dead. But we were doing it as part of the thing. So we were just sort of playing mm. with it. And uh, we were pretending to contact someone. And I had forced, I was pushing the glance mm. to say that we got in contact. I, I had spelled out, I wanted to spell out BFG because I found it funny, the idea that we'd communicate with a fictional giant. <laughs> a fictional <laughs> Never a live giant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but we got to be F, and he immediately latched <gasps> onto Bruce Forsyth. Oh, he's a pro, and, and start absolute pro, and started sort of doing a Brucey kind of impression, Amazing. saying, "Oh, Brucey's here. Brucey's got a message." And it was just was, he, was know, he doing the voice? Was he possessed? A, a little <laughs> bit, yeah. <laughs> should, you know, I should find out if we're allowed to release that because it was a non-broadcast pilot. But it's oh, so, that sequence. That's, Derek, I mean, that but that is so we're all trying. We're also trying that's, to laugh as well, but it was so good, and it's. And, you know, he, he was slightly playing up to it, but also mm. doing it for real. And it was it was wonderful. So I would love to talk to you now about the, your favourite scary moment from film or TV. 
and you well, sent me a list of a lot of different things and the one I really yeah. wanted to pick out um yeah. because I think this time of year more than ever it makes me it's the big question I mean screw the question is Die Hard a Christmas film yes it is move on is Seven a horror film well, it's funny about Seven. No, it's a thriller. It's a thriller. Yeah. But interestingly, interestingly, I, and I don't know if that's that's my answer to it. I'm sure. Mm. No, you, no, I don't think that's you, right. You, I just like it more of a, as a pub discussion than is Die Hard. Okay, Christmas. yeah. Oh, I see. Like, beat by beat, it might well be a horror film. I don't know. But I remember being so terrified of that mm. film before I'd even seen it because my oh. sister had seen it before me and had described every single element. And it's obviously it's horrible kind of even more horrible now that you know kevin spacey's the baddie right? <laughs> but, um, but um but horrible 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 and um i just i remember distinctly her describing the one um what deadly sin is it um is it sloth where where the guy has been asleep like been in the bed for ages mm. and then he and then they open the windows and then he kind of like wakes up. Yeah. You know, that's it. That jump scare. It's a jump. It's a really good jump scare. Yeah. When it's he's not, really he's not scare. dead because they're all acting like he's dead. Oh, and they've got all the exactly. air freshness hanging from the Is that your favorite killing in seven? Do you think? Oh gosh. I don't, um, and favorite's a weird word, but you know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if I should have a favorite. Um, my favorite, that was, yeah, that was the, the one most, most me, memorable. Yeah. It gave me the biggest, I mean, there was some absolutely horrifying stuff in there and, mm. and, and it, and it's that, you know, obviously does it very well. Like kind of gives you enough imagery and enough like of the snapshots of what, you know, what has happened. Oh, literally the snapshot, the Polaroid of the suit that is commissioned from the sex shop with the, yeah, well, that's exactly the one yeah, I was going yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I kind of, I literally kind of, so, yeah, you know, I think um, it's, it's, I mean, it's deeply horrible. But yeah, it was, it was, I remember that being very, 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 very scary. But then maybe the flip side of that, which I also found scary, was Jonathan Creek. Yeah. Um, <laughs> quite, Just generally the whole thing, or? No, no, I, I loved it because I loved all the magic stuff in it. And I loved, I loved all the performances in it. I found Karen Quentin so funny in it. And I, I think it's quite, I don't, I don't know if it's aged well, Jonathan Creek. I've not seen mm. it in a long time. Um, I so, think all the, yeah, I think, but, but I remember there was lots of creepy moments in there. Mm. There's a lot of kind of, kind of, it's quite gothic. And, it, mm. you know, there's a lot of kind of owls hooting at night and sort of thunderstorms and, and just sort of quite, I remember there's one where, um, uh, Sort of that was sort of like someone dressed as a skeleton walking. I think it was a Halloween special mm. one that was a skeleton walking up the stairs, coming to kind of basically kill someone. But you you end up finding out that actually this is all pre-planned and um and uh, and it's just some very very creepy imagery. I don't know if you remember the one where the guy who who had died and was placed in the basement. And then like sort of a few weeks later, he was found crawling up the stairs. Oh. Oh, and it's horrible. And um, and the way that that one had worked was actually it turned out that there had been some like local sort of spring flooding. He'd been killed in the winter, and then there'd been some spring flooding, and the basement had flooded oh. and the body up, and then it had rested on the stairs, but made That's it clever. look as if he was kind of crawling back from the dead. And and there's some really got like really yeah, there's just some great imagery in there. It's very well made. Um, and uh, yeah, that always used to like there's lots of imagery in there that that scared me. So there, I mean, you know. <laughs> They're, they're perhaps not the most my only um jonathan creek connection is the weird I, I don't think i've ever seen an episode of jonathan creek but i have a jonathan creek key ring 
because oh. my friend a uh, friend of the show riley silverman uh is a wonderful past guest of the show she uh was having a, a, a having a bit of a, a kind of as i think a lot of people did with um after jk rowling said some has said mm. and, and stood mm. up to some very um, dubious horrible things that we don't need to get into now because mm. let's not bum everyone out but it was as a harry yeah. potter fan riley found it very difficult to yeah, uh, reconcile a lot of the merch that she had with her feelings toward this person who who sort of Right. didn't think she existed basically so yeah. riley yeah. um put up a thing on facebook saying i'm sort of I, this i i'd actually got her a key ring from platform nine and a half at king's cross mm-hmm. and i'd mm-hmm. taken it to her when i went to see her in the nine, states nine and three, nine nine and three, and three quarters, quarters. <laughs> see i'm so <laughs> fucking glad i was never into harry potter like i dodged that bullet so much never into it yeah. massive respect for other people that were but it's just like never my thing so i never got my heart broken in the way that i know a lot of my friends genuinely mm-hmm. did really did Likewise, um yeah. And, um, but so I took her this, I, she had this keyring and it broke. And she said to me, I don't want to buy another one. I don't want you to buy me another one. I need to get into another Britishy thing. Um, what should I, and then she said, Oh, I know another, an, another Verity Lambert show. Um, because she loves Doctor Who. <laughs> she yeah. said Jonathan Creek. And I was like, girl, she must love Jonathan Creek. So I got her a Jonathan Creek keyring and I got myself a Jonathan Creek keyring. And then my friend who does a Jonathan Creek podcast, I told oh. him that story and he was like, great. So we'll all get rid of our Harry Potter stuff and we'll all get Jonathan Creek merch. And that's kind of like without you know getting into shit and bumming people out and starting a debate yeah. that isn't a conversation we all just have jonathan creek merch now rather than, so i love so that cool. <laughs> so well, let's, hope, let's hope that you know verity lambert <laughs> <laughs> oh it's just some bloke on ebay who's probably really confused as to why people why are, is there resurgence in jonathan this is creek massive stuff. spike he sells all kinds of lovely novelty keyrings but the jonathan creek one i've bought several oh, and i know other people who've bought them as well you've gone like i don't want to yeah when they when that when they're you know their bit of harry potter merch has run out they've just gone and bought something jonathan creaky instead so that's that's, that's my jonathan creek thoughts um lovely. yeah so I, I think yeah if you get yourself it, it's sort of like a little secret nod that you <laughs> Okay. Um, have to get, uh, well, I've got the Jonathan Creek DVD. So, you know, fantastic! Kind of, there I'm you go. Either. You're already you're already on board on board the tra- on board the love train. <laughs> Nick Mahomet, tell me about a fear that you live with now. Well, I think it. It's. I mean, it's a bit. I mean, listen, I feel like very lucky in that I'm not. You know, there's very obvious ones. Like I'm. You know. I got kids and, you know, I worry about, you know, them and like, you know, everything you're going to have to deal with growing up and social media, you know, all, all, all this, you know, that's quite, that's quite, that's sort of, that's a given, you know, (laughs) general fears of, you know, being a parent and, Mm. you know, loving them so much that should anything happen to them, you know, how are you going to deal with that? Oh God, you just have to cut your own arms off. Yeah. There's no, yeah. All all of that. Yeah. But then, but then the one that I, I guess I, so that's sort of general background. Sure. The normal radiation (laughs) horror of being alive in 2021. Yeah. And yeah, and I guess with everything that 2021 sort of brings with it. But <laughs> but the one that I kind of I have the odd like sort of dream about, not not even the odd dream, like frequent if I if I'm ever concerned about something, it will always, always manifest manifest itself as me going to the Edinburgh Festival but not having prepared. Oh. And it's really, really weird. Whether it's and it's always like it always ties in with either starting a new job or about to do a new show or something like that. And it's, you know, it's not chronic sort of anxiety, but mm. any stretch of the imagination. But it's all, it just, it just occasionally sort of manifests itself in like just, just at nighttime 
in a dream and I will always be and it's because I guess in Edinburgh is absolutely where I started off and you know I, I mean you know e- even now if I go to Edinburgh you know you don't go to Edinburgh to kind of just sort of do a, a flat show you want to go and make an I- impact but never was that more important than when I was first starting out you know there's almost an mm. etiquette that you go to Edinburgh to show your wares yeah. and then you get work off the back of it and then you start again and you you know and you go back to Edinburgh and show how you've improved and now you do another thing so Edinburgh was always, you know, it was always the sort of point in my kind of calendar year of like a lo- a lo- quite a lot of pressure in, in, a, in a good and fun way and, and preparation. And so the worst thing, and I remember it happened, I remember in 2008 of Edinburgh, and I'd been the year before in 2007, and that show had, had done quite well. And so I was really like excited about 2008 is a slightly bigger room. And when I say slightly bigger, I just mean like it's still like a, an mm. ATC I'd gone from like a 50-seater to an 80-seater. And I think, you know, I had an agent by then. And uh, I guess someone was promoting the show by that point and things. And and uh, and I remember I did those first three days, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday previews. And um, the, the end, like the whole of the ending, which was like basically a 20-minute magic trick, mm, um, oh, so, um, yeah. wasn't working. Like it just wasn't working. It, and it didn't work three nights on the truck and it was because i hadn't i hadn't prepared like i hadn't prepared for it um i had sort of thought i can get by this on sort of showmanship and being mrs swallow and and the room will come together and i was like yeah i can do this i can do this and i couldn't actually i needed to write it i needed to rehearse it to the letter and because it's magic actually Mm. that was a real learning curve like magic's really difficult to, to do actually um, to improv your way out of yeah you can't you, you know you, you can improv your way around it and jazz around it they call it when when you know yes. when you know your, know your stuff um and it is like jazz in that mm. sense you, you have to know your nuts and bolts mm. and uh, and it didn't and, and i remember there were people kind of like I, and i could hear people and people who i really admired and liked and my peers being like yes actually it's not as good as last year's and i was like oh god mm. i'm now up here for months and i've and i've and i'm going backwards and I just put so many hours in. And I remember the Saturday following the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I put so much work in to kind of get it working. And that was the first day we were letting pressing because they were like, well, we kind of got to start letting pressing now because otherwise, mm. you know, everyone will get ahead of, you know, you, you know the, the, the press will all get booked out and you'll never get reviewed. So I was like, oh, here we go. And fortunately, thankfully, it came together on that Saturday. And from then on, A, I've always had that dream that I've, I've, I'm on stage at Edinburgh and I'm not prepared and it's all falling apart. Um, and and I and, and particularly whenever I go to do a live show, like preparation is king. Like I will start, and and now I rehearse them as plays. So mm. I will rehearse every single day with a director for the whole of July, before then doing the show in August. And we rehearse it as a play, and you start doing runs of it, and 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 then it, it's now since then it's been fine. Um, God, but yeah, it's kind of that that's that's sort of my go to. Which might sound like a very kind of thespy, artsy. No, I think it. it, Do you know what it sounds like to me? It's so healthy. It sounds unbelievably healthy. Like this thing that happened. How long? How like twelve years ago? Yeah, Yeah. years ago. And you still your way of processing, uh, say, day one of writing a sitcom with. David Schwimmer, or starring yeah, in a yeah. sitcom with David Schwimmer. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no stakes there. Your first show, and uh, you know the, the eyes mm-hmm. of the world on you, etc. And your way of processing that is to remember a time. Yeah, because when you were talking about it, then, you were so nervous, like you were like I could feel the anxiety, yeah. and I was nervous for yeah. you, like when you're talking about yeah. it. And it's like that's so healthy that you apply yeah. that. Yeah. So you're like, all you need to do, prepare, know your stuff. Yeah, but it's true, Amazing. and it's and you can you can you can. Um, 
you can do that for like you know whether it's a casting just learning like learning lines starting a new writing project a new filming project whatever you know preparation is, is just your friend like it, it absolutely mm-hmm. is <laughs> and um and what is that one like you know it's a military thing isn't it uh fail to prepare but like it is it is it's so true oh it's so true for me like in yeah the way that I work. and so since then i have like been remember that time just just remember this feeling and even when i've done gigs when i've been on stage um apart from say if i've done like a corporate gig where you kind of almost you can give them your all and you will never get anything back and you have to almost think okay but that's not my fault like you know if, mm. if it's if it's a set that you have done a thousand times and usually it hits and and you're not getting anything you can you can be like okay well then i think it's the audience but other than that you have to sort of think okay well this is a rela- a two-way relationship every gig is different and if they're not laughing then i need to do something about that and i remember doing a gig and trying to really consciously think okay they're not laughing so i could just be like oh well this is just a you know a waste of a gig then you know i'll just rush through it and just you know get off stage and it'd be mm. horrible but i try to tell myself in the live moment of doing that gig when i realize that it's not quite going right it's like you know that when you get to the end of this gig and you're on your way home you'll hate that it's gone back like you'll hate that so do every single thing you can now in this moment to try and turn it around because at least then even if it fails you will know you've done absolutely everything and i try and i try and do that you know fortunately i don't have too many kind of like rocky rocky gigs but there's definitely been times when i thought uh, and they're they're so much more rewarding as well you know if it started quiet and then slowly the room kind of turns and then by the end it's like i've got there and and they feel in a way more rewarding than when you can walk on stage and people have seen the character before so they're on board and they're like "Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah all the way through sometimes they can you know it feels like you you're sort of just sort of going through the motions a bit but those gigs where you're really having to be in the moment but it takes a lot it takes a lot of i think energy to really push through that i think fantastic i love that you're you're not ever going to be in a position again where you need to your career depends on winning over 80 people in the caves in edinburgh or the guild of balloon <laughs> but then well yeah so <laughs> didn't mean to jinx it there i just touched wood for you i mean presumably <laughs> you're doing all right I mean Emmy nomination, <laughs> but still your, still your. I, I love that that's your go-to anxiety. I think that keeps you very grounded. Um, can I touch? I know we've not got that much longer, but can I do? Um, can I do one thing that you emailed me when I asked you sent me quite a long list of things, and the one that yes, really stood yeah, out. No, which is great. I love that. I love having um, you know freewheeling discussions. I don't want to like tie people down to things, but I loved your phrasing of um, uh, of uh, a thing you were afraid of, which is big-bodied spiders. <laughs> <laughs> big bodied i love that well it's really it, very well, unfat shaming I, I think it oh sorry sorry to no, no. community listening no you weren't disparaging you just said big bodied <laughs> well i'm afraid of them so they're more powerful than me so that well it's not just big but it's i was trying to work it out because at first i think i sort of thought i wrote fast spiders oh but then i don't mean fast spiders so it's a common there's a sweet spot with spiders and first of all, I'm the one who has to always get rid of them in the house anyway. So right. I, I was going to ask, are you, are you a killer or are you a... Oh, God, not a killer. No, I'm a get rid of... I, I, would, yeah. I, I think the last time I killed a spider was in like 2003 because it was so big and there was no one else to help. I had to kill one in 2003. 
sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so I wasn't laughing at you. I really wasn't. No, I was. Um, no, it was the way you said it. No one. You said no one has to help. Like, like and I. Uh, sorry. I, I was not really laughing at you. I, I promise. No, 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 no. It was, it was, and it was so big that there was just no way. There was no mm. way I could deal with it. And, and sadly, I had to whack it with a shoe. And I'm not condoning that behavior. That, that is. I, I. But that was like you know. I mean, what, 18 years ago. Um, now I'm and very much a glass <laughs> and, a, yeah. and a postcard. Um, and then there's always that fear that, oh, have they sort of secreted a scent on this postcard now that will attract other spiders? Do you ever have that? Like, you know, I, the thing okay, with like, the wasps, to... wasps things, you attract other wasps. Oh, I didn't know that. No, cards on the table, I love spiders. And I know that makes me freakish. And um, I'm fascinated by arachnophobia because I, because I don't yeah. understand it. The, spind- the spindly leg ones absolutely you know the ones that have got like daddy long legs mm. size legs absolutely fine they've usually got tiny bodies and they kind of move you know they can't move very they're sort of quite spindly and they move quite great absolutely fine can just grab one with my hand pop it outside mm. the ones that like anything oh, what's that the size of like a 10p a piece <laughs> <That's> <laughs> 10p. Uh, the old tempe coins um tempe anything the size of a tempe fine yeah. i could do it with my hand double decker bus bigger, yeah yeah <laughs> even double decker bus i, I am a little yeah. but but it's it's the combination of it having a big body and just being generally like a big wingspan or whatever you call the mm. sort of, you know how big it is with its legs out and 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 then often the speed it's speed speed stealth because they're like silent assassins i mean they are there's just something so alien. Mm. A, they've got eight legs. About eight, eight eyes. Have they got eight eyes? Oh no, they've got. They've. Oh no, they. It depends which one you like. I. I. I they've got quite lovely faces. Like, I'm not going to sell anyone on spiders, but they've got very nice faces. But then you look at their eight eyes, and they are all in a big row. Um, yeah, it's all. It's just a bit too. It's like that they've been. That they are like sort of like the perfect sort of killers. Like that they've been designed <laughs> with one thing in mind, which is to kind of like instill fear and to catch its prey i mean like who builds a web i mean their whole life is about building traps mm. to trap things that they're gonna eat i mean i guess that's what we do as humans right really like farms yeah <laughs> farms are really enclosures it's, just where traps. Gonna it's the fact that you, you never traps. you don't really see them moving as well like if you if you walk around your neighborhood at this time of year a, a site I find very beautiful, but I understand a lot of people don't like it. this great big web and then the, the big fat pregnant spider in the middle of it. Oh, I don't mind those big preg- pregnant ones. I once went into, we were, we were up at visiting my parents recently and we went to, they were in Leeds and we went to Fountain Zambi, which is a lovely national trust in Yorkshire, mm. uh, in the Dales. And, um, and you know, you can, it's a ruin, but you can go in and out and some of the light rooms are really dark. And we kind of, I went in with one with the kids and sort of like put the torch on my phone on. And there was the biggest spider in the biggest web. But the scariest thing about it was that it had a massive egg sack attached mm. to it. And that's oh. a bit like an egg sack. What do you mean? Oh, Sarah. Oh, maybe it's Charlotte's web. <laughs> the baby's going to fly away. <laughs> but anyway, but so they just, I don't know, there's just something. It's, 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 it's always there. They pop, they, they'll pop up in a dream occasionally. Oh, really? Oh, really? A little spider's there. That what am I worried about? And it'll be something like I have learned lines for casting, or I've got to. <laughs> I've got to do an American accent. <laughs> so you have to do an American accent right now, don't you? How is that going? 
Well, actually, no, we, we, we're playing around with it. We decided because we, they've made him a guy who's kind of come over, who's sort of like a transatlantic guy. So bits are American and bits are kind of more British. So it's actually really interesting. And John Hamm's character and my character kind of rib each other about each other's voices. They've, the, the, the writer's with us. And so he, he thought it'd be really fun and help us play with some improv stuff. So he, yeah. So they've kind of written it into the script a bit. So, so that's nice. But yeah, it's nice to be, I've kind of had a lot, a lot now of, american accent lessons because that was the only way i could do it because i couldn't do it naturally weirdly it was i can i can do regional accents like british regional accents sort of fine um with with not as much practice but an american accent was quite elusive for a long long time you know it just sounds like everything's so exciting for you at the moment that's that's absolutely brilliant like i'm really happy for you um i'll I'll wrap things up now i just say um nick thank you so much for being on the fear um and i have a spectacular halloween <laughs> thank you very much you too thank you for having me Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. Can you add any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, no, um, you don't have to do that. That weird kadook that yeah, lights going off makes for some reason in films. <laughs> All Rather Mysterious. 